Anyway, without further ado, uh, we're going to invite my wife up to do the Easter morning message. Yay! Good morning. Oh, man. Hey, man, if you guys brought a friend today and your friend is too shy to come up and get a prize, then come and get him a prize because we put him out here. It's like little journals and a little coffee cup. Lord, I just thank you for this day. It, It is just full of power. I just felt you just moving and stirring all week, Lord, in your body. And I just thank you. This is just one of the days that a lot of people come to church. And so every single church that is meeting around the world, God, I pray that you will meet them and bless them powerfully, Lord, that you will work in the hearts of your people, Lord, that there will be a mass turning towards you as we meet, as as the preachers come and they bring the word as the worship leaders come and bring us into your presence God every single body every single person watching online God I pray that they encounter you powerfully and that they are never the same after today and today Lord as we sit in America in this wonderful land Lord I just pray for wisdom I thank you, and I ask for you to strengthen the ones that you have placed in in hidden, in positions of authority, and I just pray that you will uh, give them wisdom, that you will strengthen them, Lord. People in governmental places and people that are leaders of organizations, God, make them fearless, Lord, in following you. This has just been a time when we've seen what power does to people and to organizations. And I pray, Lord, that the power of the cross will begin to reign and will begin to infiltrate every single heart, family, and organization, Lord, whether you are a church, whether you are a business, whether you are a government organization. I just pray that the principles and the power of heaven would would begin to move and to be the, the reigning power. And this morning, I pray that I will declare your word clearly in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This is a morning where we get to say, as we say, as we get to celebrate every day, but he is risen. I was listening to this uh, message by, I think, Pastor Erwin McManus, he leads a church down in L.A. called Mosaic. And he was talking about how sometimes the church will have capsule words, where there's just a whole bunch of meaning that we have jam-packed into a phrase. And we say it so often that it can be emptied of its power. And I want to talk today about these three words, he has risen. I think that sometimes we forget the power that is in those words, he is risen. It just seems so innocuous. It just seems so like that's really not a powerful thing, Jen. You didn't say pow or boom, and there's not like fireworks, and there's not like tanks and like big guns. And like, you know, we, we want for, we're used to power being like outward, and we're used to it being loud, where we can look and we can see it. But Jesus just like 
that people got there to the tomb and he just wasn't there. It's, it's very subtle. It just, it comes in and you have to think about it. You have to think about he is risen. Like, how did that happen? And there's something that raised him because he died. It was confirmed by lots and lots of people. On Friday, and Friday he died. And then you can see, you can, you can see in the, in, the, in the days leading up to that, it's like Jesus was here, he's with his disciples, he's coming to Jerusalem. You know, there's all of these re- acts that are recorded and he flips the tables like we talked about last week and, he, and, and he, people are praising him as, as he goes into Jerusalem and then it records the, the Last Supper and it records how he says he's going to be betrayed, and you kind of see like he's going to be betrayed. Why isn't he doing anything? And he's going into the garden, and he's praying, and he's, there's this kind of picture that all of Scripture is painting, and it's of this. He's going somewhere, and it's, for us, we might say it's not going to be good, and, and it starts painting this picture of he's, he's going to, and he's, he says, I'm good. nobody has the power to take my life, but, but I have the authority to lay it back down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. And, and it starts painting this picture of like, it's like very anticlimactic, you know? And, and, it, and, and it talks about Pilate, and it talks about the friction between him and the, and the Jews, and how they were like, crucify him. And, you know, if you, read, if you read the Gospels, you'll see many of them are recording this, and, and, then, and you see him not saying anything. And you see him not speaking up and not answering their questions. And you see him, it culminates just way down here in this crucifixion, this, this very lowly death between two thieves. And it records just a whole lot of stuff, and you're just like, oh, that's how the story ends. But of course we know that that's not how the story ends because, you know, and it records the, that after he died, that the disciples just went away, and it talks about how they were just kind of, they went, away, they went upon their, 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 their Passover, they celebrated the Sabbath, and, you know, they packed him in the tomb, and they put the oils on him, and, and they were gathered again, and they were dealing with what they thought was the end of the story, and, and then they the third day, they, the women, they wake up early before the sun comes up. And they, and they get there, and it's just he's gone. You know, this isn't the power story of the world. The power story of the world, the climax would be an up. But in this story, the climax is, it, it, it's not an up. It's like, at the worst place you could possibly be, it feels like, defeated, the enemy thinks that he's won at this point. The disciples think that they have chosen the wrong person to follow, and then suddenly he's, he's not there. And, and it's like, I, I kind of started thinking about the power structure and what, I want to talk about the power. I want to talk about the aftermath of, of this resurrection, this, this incoming and this, um, this heavenly pa- display of power that looked so opposite to the display of power that the world shows. So I kind of want to talk about this dynamic of what worldly power looks like and what heavenly, the power from heaven looks like. And the power from heaven looks like 
you know, you go to the tomb and he's not there. And the power of, <laughs> you have to think about when power from heaven works. You have to think about, they were perplexed. They were like, what's going on? You can see in Luke, um, around like the 20-something, 20 23rd, 24th chapter, you start really seeing like, what, what happened? They just get there and he's not there. He's, and they're, and they're, and they're, It's chapter 24, they found the stone rolled away and when they entered, they didn't find the body of Jesus. This does not look like a great display of power, does it? It doesn't. They didn't find him and, and while they were wondering, these, these angels came and they're like, hey, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not there. He's risen just as he said. He has risen just as he said, and they're still so confused. But I bet you at this moment, something, this is what I believe that the power of God starts looking like. It's not mighty and big and visual. It's a stirring. That's what I believe that the power of God is like. I believe it's a stirring, and I believe that there's probably something that started stirring inside of them. And, and, and the angel says, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered, and it started to stir. And when they went back to the tomb, they told these things to the, to the 11. And, and they didn't, the women went and they told them, and they didn't believe because their words to them seemed like nonsense. But then they decided to go and check for themselves, and they see strips of linen. But I bet you things were starting to stir inside of them. And now, now God starts, or Jesus starts to... Uh, um, to reveal himself to them a couple at a time and then a few at a time. And, and, he's, and he walks with them and he starts revealing the scriptures and he opens their minds up to the scriptures that they knew and he interprets them for him. Or he's, he interprets the, the scriptures for them. And so you start seeing Jesus revealing himself and then later it records that he, re he revealed himself for like 30 days. He revealed himself to over 500 people. He did all of this stuff this, this, uh, as he, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but this was not like this massive display of power. This was a display, this was a stirring. This was something that rose slowly and it's interesting that that's, I think, still the way he works today. We tend, because we live in a human society, we live, you know, in a broken world, we tend to think that power looks one way, but, but God keeps saying, listen, power looks like something a little bit different than what you're used to. The words he's risen, just as he said, is, just as he, said he would, will forever resonate through time and space, and I think that we'll spend lifetimes unraveling and discovering the implications of that. And I want to take some time to talk about what the power of the world looks like and what the power of heaven looks like. And I want to talk about why power even matters. Because there's something that we live in. We live in this aftermath. Chelsea, Chelsea read uh, the words to um, My Chains Are Gone, I think, this amazing grace song. In the beginning, and grace is exactly what she said. It's exactly what the song says. It's the reason why we live today. It's the reason why we can do the things that we do. And grace is, it's this two-sided coin. It's, it's his unmerited favor and love towards you. 
you didn't do anything. He just loves you because you're you. He just loves you because you exist. But there's this other part that is also his supernatural power working in your life. And we have to have those two sides together. We have to keep them together, the favor and the power. We can't live in just the favor of God and just try to, try to live as if there's no power that's trying to transform you into what he's calling you to, right? We can't try to live for the power and forget that we have favor and we have love in him. It's like a quarter that only has one side is not valid. A quarter has to have both sides to be able to be spent legally, so, so that's why I want to talk about power, because there's something about power and righteousness and justification and, and faith that are just inextricably connected. And there's something that if we understand that it will actually launch us into a totally different atmosphere that, that God is trying to pull us into. And that's, that's the church that is empowered by his grace, his power. It's, it's us living our lives in, the, in such a way that, that we're allowing him to display himself. But we can't. Jesus never did anything with worldly power except to refuse to use it. And he's calling the church to the same thing. We have to stay away from power, from worldly power. Because he knew, you know, if he had partaken in this earthly power that he had access to, that, that he would be making it so that he can't partake in the, the heavenly power that rose him from the dead. Like, that's crazy. Let me show you a few things. This is what the power of the world looks like. People, and I'm not talking about, you know, power is a spectrum, right? Like, it starts with one, with one thing, but it's always going to lead you to something else. It's what we, what we allow to grow in our life and what we uh, focus on, we get more of. What we are right now, we will become more of. If you're generous right now, when you're older, you're going to be more generous. If you're bitter right now, when you're older, you're going to be more bitter. If you tell little lies now, if, when you're older, you will tell bigger lies. So, so there's this principle of what we allow, what we focus on will grow. And so, so I'm not saying that all power looks like this, but all power will lead to stuff like this. So the power of the world is collected and amassed for self. We can see this in the, in the lives of uh, politicians. We can see this in the lives of big companies that don't conduct business ethically. Um, the power of this world is collected and amassed for self, but the power of heaven is to be given away to others and it's used to serve. <clears throat> the power of the world seeks control and obedience. The power of heaven empowers. The power of heaven empowers you to do what he's asking you to do. The power of this world is destructive to relationships, and the power of heaven re is redemptive to all relationships. The power of the world is oppressive. It's outside in. It's trying to create pressure. It's trying to hold you down. The power of heaven is transformative. It works from the, from the inside out. The power of the world is elusive, and man strives to obtain it, and then they strive to protect it. But the power of heaven is freely given by a good father. The power of this world glorifies man and self, and the power of heaven glorifies the Lord. The power of this world actually kills creativity and innovation. It's been proven that 
People that live in oppressive societies are less creative than people that live in free societies. Um, The power of heaven causes people to create and flourish. The power of the world devalues people and only sees people for what they can get out of them. But the power of heaven actually restores dignity and respect. There's a book that I just read. It was from like the 80s, so. But it's called... Are We Victims of the Religion of Power by Cheryl Forbes? It says, when, when amassing power becomes the goal, love, dignity, and respect die. So when, when we be, begin to become after, like what our goal is, is getting more power, then we will automatically stop loving, honoring, and respecting, and giving people dignity. Um, The power of the world uses people and gifts for personal gain, and the power of heaven actually wants to see others grow in their gifts. The power of the world protects self-position, but the power of heaven protects freedom. The power of the world produces and operates from pride, and and the power of heaven operates from humility. We see this in the life of Jesus. The fruit of the powers of this world is a poverty mindset and lack. There's a mindset of... I'll never have enough. I have to keep going. I have to keep producing. I have to keep getting power. I can never stop. And, and the, power, the power of heaven, the fruit of that is like generosity and gratitude. Uh, the power of the world empowers fears and anxieties and imagines enemies everywhere. I don't know if you've ever been around a boss that is just like a little bit of a power tripper and a little bit of a control freak. They imagine, they imagine enemies everywhere. But the power of heaven causes Christ to form himself in us. The power of this world creates a scarcity mindset where there's not enough, and the power of heaven is always pointed towards others. We are never afraid to go and give and serve because we have learned that you can't outgive God. We have learned that no matter how much we love people, he always fills us with more. We are told to forgive because we've been freely given. We, we have been told that we can't just hold our forgiveness for ourselves and not give it away. That will cause our, our forgiveness literally to be shut off and cut off. Like he wants us, everything that he gives us is meant for other people. We are meant to be a vessel that this stuff flows through. We, we don't worry about scarcity. We don't worry about where our next, whatever is coming from. Like we literally live to serve the Lord and we just trust that he is going to supply our every need. The power of this world is temporal and the power of heaven is eternal. Listen, the power of this world wants to strip away your personal power and it wants to rule over every part of your life. But there's a power of heaven that wants to permeate. It wants to permeate every single one of your relationships. It wants to sink into your heart. It wants to soak into and soften your heart. He wants to actually put, he wants to soak into your heart the things that he loves and the things that he cares about. You know, some of us that have walked with the Lord for a while really start in experiencing this. It's like um, my friend Kaylani came up and shared, uh, a, a, it was just a few months ago, but she was just like, I saw myself liking people that I didn't used to like. It's like I like I used to not be able to stand you and now I can actually say I love you like this has to be Lord because I, you know you're pretty annoying. 
I'm sorry, but you know what? We're human and we all have those people. Everybody has one of those people that it's like, man, I mean, you're lucky Jesus loves you because I really don't. But... <laughs> But, you know, whenever we, whenever we recognize that stuff in ourselves and we start recognizing and we, like, I'm not kidding. I have been, like, on my knees going, like, Lord, why did you put this person in my life? This person drives me insane. But, but every single time I have said, listen, Lord, I need for you to put the love that you have for that person in me. I've heard teachers talk about this too. Lord, I need, the, I need your love for this kid in my heart right now because I'm about to wring his neck. They probably didn't say that. That's, this is a gen paraphrase. <laughs> but every time I have said, Lord, I need for you to show me how you see this person, it literally changes my heart. And this is his power that is sinking into my heart. He is, he is permeating my heart with himself so that this is his way because he wants to transform us from the inside out. He doesn't want to end from the outside in say, you have to be nice to everyone. That's not going to work. It will work for a little bit. But what he wants to do is he wants to actually place his love for people inside our hearts so that it naturally comes out in the way that we act. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is what, it, what he does. He wants, he t he's patient. He's patient to come and take his, his power and, and, his, and his grace and to just drench our lives with it, that, to just soak us in it, to, to pickle us in it. It's like that, that baptism word is the baptismo or whatever. It's a blend of two words. Remember, I had this. Some of you guys won't know this, but I did this message about being pickled. And you get dipped into his love, and you get totally transformed. And once you have been pickled with his grace and his love in your life, you can never go back to being a cucumber you can't you're changed you are changed from the inside out you have been baptismoed into his love you have been pickled into his love and now you are not ever going to be the same like this is what the kingdom of God looks like this is what the power of the kingdom of God looks like this is why this is why he has risen is so important because, listen, if he had died for every single one of us, which he did, that's what Friday was all about. He died for every single one of us, and we would be forgiven of our sin, but the grace comes in the resurrection. The power comes with the resurrection. Paul even says in uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's chapter 15, if there's no resurrection of the dead, he's like, listen, if we had the cross, the, the Friday without the resurrection, this is what our lives would be like. If there's no resurrection, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Without the resurrection, your faith is useless. This is the crux of our faith, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. It's not that he died, even though that is amazing. It's not that he took our sin upon himself, although it's amazing. The power of the gospel is the, the grace that he released, this aftermath of grace that we all currently live in, where we now get to have his supernatural power living inside of us, empowering us to live the way that he's asking us to live. When he says, be holy because I am holy, he's not like saying, you better go be holy because I'm holy and now, now look what you have to do. He's like, no, listen, be holy because I'm holy and because I have said that word to you, that word is so packed full of grace that if you carry that word in your heart, my 
power will cause you to be able to live holy. We only have the hope of being able to obey the things that he asks us to do because he gives us, he empowers us with his power to do it. We cannot do any of it on our own, and we did not do anything to, to earn it. So more than that, we're in verse 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified at him about him that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he didn't, then the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Ain't nobody want that. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, then we are of all people to be most pitied. That's what Paul talks, says about the cross a couple decades later. He says, if, if, the, if we only have hope in Christ for this world, for this life, we have nothing. We are more than any other people group on earth to be pitied. But we don't have to worry about that because he has risen, just as he said. So let me tell you, uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 25 interprets this. Uh, why he died on, on the cross and why he was resurrected. Romans 4, chapter 25 says that <clears throat> that he died for our transgressions, but he was raised to life for our justification. So justification is one of those words that's kind of one of those theological sounding things, but it's super important. This is what it does. He was raised to life to make you just as if you had never sinned. He was raised to life to make you holy and pure. He, that his, the justification of, of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful that God can now look at you and say, you are holy and blameless in my sight. He can look at you and say, you are clean, you are pure. There is no you are white as snow. Nothing that you have done, nothing that you could ever do is, is clouding the way that I see you. He's like, I see you as holy and blameless and pure. I see you as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. Anybody feel like a holy nation and a royal priesthood 24-7? Okay, I don't either. <laughs> But it doesn't matter because here's the thing. When we believe in the power of heaven and we don't believe in our experience, then what we do is we can say, Lord, I believe that your, your word is true and your word says that I am holy and I am clean and that, that you, when you see me, you don't see my sin, you see me as you made me. And because I believe that I have faith, this is where the faith comes in, because I have faith that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then I am justified. I am, I am made righteous. We've been talking about righteousness and grace for the last few months, so of course I'm going to bring that into Easter because that's what it's all about. But because I have been made just as if I had never sinned, and because now I am in right standing with you, now grace is released in my life. There is an inextricable connection between faith and grace, and justification, and righteousness. These things all work together. We can't take, you know, a capsule word and be like, well, I'm saved because I have faith in Jesus Christ. Like, I just used 
thousands of words to describe just a tiny facet of what that means. Like we get to we get to meditate on this. We get to think about. Sometimes I sit in my prayer area. I can't do it when I'm driving. Any of you guys pray while you're driving? I pray while I'm driving sometimes, but sometimes I just like my prayer time is so powerful that I would crash my car. So I have to like I have to sometimes just get away from people. So I'll be in my prayer time and I will sit there and I will think about my sins literally being nailed to the cross. I will think about the scripture that says, he who knew no sin became my sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. And you guys all know how to meditate because I know you all have worried before. <laughs> think about, think about how's this going to work out? What's going on? Every possibility, all this different stuff. So I know you all know how to meditate. All we're doing when we, are, when we are meditating is we are worrying about what if the word of God is true. <laughs> all we're doing is going like man what if it's true that that time that I kicked the dog and that time that I yelled at my husband and that time that I cussed out my kid and that time that I lied and that time that I messed up on my time card and that time that I didn't uh, pay for my onion at the grocery store because it was underneath my purse and I'd already loaded all my stuff and I didn't feel like going back in and like all this different stuff all of the bad attitudes that we've ever done something with all of the mess ups that we've ever had we can sit there and we can worry about what if the word of god is true what if what what if he became my sin and what if because i have faith in jesus because i have this free gift what if that's all he wants from me what if it's true what if he really did become my sin so that i might become the righteousness of god and then what does it mean to be the righteousness of god what does it look like to be in right standing you know and i sit there and i imagine him you know being right next to me and what the expression on his face looks like and when i start realizing that when he's not looking at my mess ups when he's just looking at me for how he created me i can start seeing that his countenance towards me is happy his countenance towards me is excitement. His countenance towards me is good. His countenance towards me is love. You know, so we all know how to meditate. And when we start meditating on our righteousness, when we start meditating on our status as holy and pure and clean and blameless in front of God, you guys, we're leaving space for his power to stir in us. When we continue to read that Bible, when we continue to start realizing the things that he's calling us to, when we continue to start seeing, this is what he's stirring his church to, to count one another as more important than yourselves. He's, that can only happen in a grace-empowered place, in a, God, in a place where godly, heavenly power is valued where we don't pull the, the power of the world into these dynamics. You know, uh, us being empowered by grace is the only reason why he can set us out as sheep among wolves. Have you ever thought about that scripture? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Like, well, the sheep doesn't have a chance. Yeah, in the world, you're right. But when you have the power of God behind you, 
And when you trust in him, and when you see that he's done things in your life, and you start going like that, it stirs my faith even more. And when we share testimonies of his goodness, and when we pray together, and when we see people healed, and when we see God do things in our lives that we could never have imagined, we could never have set up for ourselves, like when we see that stuff, we can, it starts stirring our faith for more, and we're like, well, maybe I should pray for more people to get healed, because I just saw this person get healed. That's awesome. And maybe I should pray for this thing, because I just... I, this person shared this testimony with me, and I want to see that too. I want to see my family member get set free from drugs and alcohol. Has anybody ever seen their family member get set free from drugs and alcohol? Yes, I want for you guys to literally pray for the other people. So you guys that are waiting for a friend or a family member to get saved from drugs and alcohol, to get delivered from drugs or alcohol, raise your hand. So the ones that have seen it, I want you to pray for the ones that are raising their hands. Let's do it. Let's see it. Lord, we want to see it. We want to see our family members and our friends set free from drugs and alcohol. Let the testimonies that are sitting here between us, Lord, the testimonies that are shared in our hearts, Lord, let it, let it, that outwork, let that power go. Go, go and overtake these these addictions, Lord. Come and let your power stir. Let your power stir in our hearts, Lord. Let your grace come and empower us to do the things that we cannot do. Lord, we know that you have the power to do what you said, but the problem that we do is we, the problem that we see is that we're pulling kingdom, we're pulling the power of the world into our relationships and we need to refuse to use that stuff. I only want the power of the kingdom of heaven to be operating and reigning in my life and the life of those around me. Let us refuse to try to control. Let us refuse to devalue. Let us refuse to, to not treat people with dignity and respect. Let us not pollute our faith with this, the power structure of the world. Lord, let us focus and let us learn. Let us meditate on your word. It's good. It's powerful. Uh, the only thing, and I'm going to go back to this, the only thing that the Lord Jesus Christ did with earthly and worldly power was to refuse to use it. Does anybody remember what happened in Luke when the Holy Spirit leads Jesus out into the desert? The, the, the enemy comes and he tempts him. He says, use your power for your own gain. Use your power to, to create food because you're hungry. You're right now a servant. You're right now subservient to God. Why don't you use your power to get the, 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 the authorities of the world? Jesus is like, no, I will not use my power for self-gain. I will not. And he teaches the, the disciples to do the same thing. When, when they went and they were preparing, they go ahead uh, of Jesus to this Sumerian village. And he's like, hey, can you prepare to, for Jesus to, to be received here? And they're like, no. And they got upset. They were like, let's call fire down on him. And he's like, no, no, no. No. You don't know the spirit you're of. You cannot use the power uh, that you have. You can't bring this worldly power. We have to refuse to use it. This is not for now. He diffuses them. He teaches them how to use it. He teaches them how to value the power of heaven. God moves when he wants to move. We are obedient to him. We are subservient to him on purpose and intentionally because of what he's done for us out of our hearts. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's a time, you know, Jesus even previously had been like, hey, you guys, make sure you have two swords. Peter's like, boom, boom, got two swords. Okay, they get there, and these guys come, and they're like, hey, we're here to arrest you. And Peter's like, oh, I'm going to cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus is like, no, 
Peter's like, yeah, but you just told me that, that I had the swords right here. I showed you. I mean, that's my interpretation of what happened, but... <laughs> But Jesus was like, no, don't you understand? He's like, I could have more than 12 legions of angels come down if I want to. He's like, I will not use this power. I am subservient to God. I want his power to reign. I want his power to, to rule in my life. This is the only power that I am interested in is grace. The only power that I am interested in is the grace of God, the unmerited favor and his supernatural power working in my life. And the reason why God was able to raise him up from the dead on that third day, the only reason why we can say he has risen just as he said is because he lived his life like that. And this is what he's calling us to. I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 4. God has... God has this prescription. I guess I could have marked it, but now I'm going to be flipping with y'all. I want you to see this as a prescription. This is what God's prescription is against Um. bad doctrine, cunning people, and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Does this sound like worldly power to you guys? People that are, well, the, we, we have a term called power plays. We have people that are power tripping. We have micromanagers. We all have these people in our lives. And hey, let's be honest, we are these people sometimes, especially with our children. I'm not bossy. I just know what you should be doing. And because I am older than you and because I am wiser than you, I'm going to tell you what you need to be doing. Anybody ever start their sentences with, you need to? Every day of my life. <laughs> you know, you need to blah, 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 blah. Oh, that usually goes over well. <laughs> you know what? We are these people. We are these people. And do we do it with the best of intentions? Yes, we do. Because we love our kids and we don't know another way. But Jesus is calling us to another way. He is calling us to value free will. He is calling us to come and stir, to create atmospheres, to allow him to work in you in such a way that you can now love and influence, to ask, to ask him to soak his love for other people in your heart so that you can love them with the love that he's given you. We only love because he first loved us. Right? We can only love people with the love that we receive from him. And if we keep power out of it, we're going to be so much more effective. This is what God's prescription is against. You've got to think about governmental authorities. We've got to think about corrupt policemen, corrupt doctors, corrupt business people. This is what his prescription is. To each of us, we're starting in verse 7. A grace has been given. A power has been given. A supernatural power working in your life paired with favor and love that you did not deserve. That makes sense? We've got a two-sided coin. We've got to keep them both. To each of us, a grace has been given as Christ apportioned. And this is for people that have said yes to Jesus. This is not for the world. This is the prescription for the church against a corrupt world. When he ascended on high... And, her, and we're referring 
specifically to the ascension, specifically to he is risen. When he ascended on high, he took captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And what does ascended mean except that he also descended, which we just talked about, into the lower earthly regions. He descended He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So we got to remember, man, once that once that anticlimactic death happened, like that he is risen, raises to the highest heavens. So it raised him so much higher than he was before. This is God's will for us too. So Christ gave himself, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son and to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants. We won't be tossed back and forth by waves of, of doctrine, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. This is specifically talking about a healthy, growing, thriving, maturing church. Body of believers. I don't care if you are, the church spends too much time talking about who's an apostle, a prophet, a, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher. It doesn't matter. Our job, who, if you are one, cool. If you aren't one, you're being equipped for the works of ministry. So everybody's in here. And what we care about is people being equipped for the works of ministry. That's what the important part is. That's what eight, there's 8.3 billion people on the planet. And people being equipped for the works of ministry is going to be manifest in 8.3 billion different ways. Every single one of us is supposed to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Every single one of us is supposed to be built together and, and, and us engaging in that process is a prescription against bad doctrine. It's a prescription against who? People that want to come and be cunning and be deceitful and, and use worldly power against us. We got to remember If Jesus subserviently went to the cross, which we believe he did, it was the worldly powers that put him there. It was the powers of religion. It was the powers of politicians. It was the powers of self. It was the powers of greed. It was the structures and the spirits that are rife in worldly power. And so for Jesus to just rise from the dead on the third day, he overcame and disarmed every single one of them. That is the victory. And that is the victory that we live in. It seems so anticlimactic, you guys. But it's the power of God. 
It's the power of God that is now working in the, in the hearts of his people. And he is always stirring us. It says in scripture that we are supposed to be stirred to good works, doesn't it? That we are supposed to count one another. We're supposed to do life together. We're supposed to have communion together. We're supposed to go to church together. We're supposed to live life together. We're supposed to raise our kids together. Like we are supposed to be a family, a community. We are supposed to give freely. We are supposed to go out into every sphere of society and just infiltrate it with the power of heaven and refuse to go to 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 take upon ourselves and to and to value the powers of the world does that make sense like that's what we're called to it seems so weird but that's what he's asking us to do it's it's upside down it's this we're supposed to come as servants it, it says in scripture that he didn't count being equal to god as anything that he emptied himself and that he came as a servant. So if anybody doesn't know, if anybody doesn't know Jesus and you're interested, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> um, you know what, if anybody, if, if there's people in the room that have never said yes to Jesus before and you're interested in just stepping into a relationship with God, I pray that you say yes to him. He absolutely adores you, 100% is behind you. He loves you. And those of you that maybe have stepped away from the church like Rodney and I have for a long time, Rodney and I, probably over 10 years of our marriage, we stepped away from the church. And when we came back, we were just radically overwhelmed by the love that God had for us, by the love of the church around us. And um, so if you're just kind of somebody that has stepped away from the Lord, (laughs) I just want to invite you back. But Lord, I just thank you for, for, for what you've done for us. I thank you for your death and burial. I thank you for your resurrection, Lord. I thank you for the resurrection power that lives in every single one of us. I thank you that if we have faith in you, that you were raised to life for our justification. And when we are justified, we are made righteous. And when we step into that righteousness, we start believe it. Then grace, your power is released into our lives. I thank you for sending us. I thank you for stirring your power that you don't come visually, but you come from within. That you come and you stir our hearts. And I pray, Lord, for just an increase of your presence, an increase of your anointing, and an increase of, of your calling that you will give your church ears to hear and eyes to see what you're doing, Lord. And I thank you for what you're doing among every single one of us. And for every uh, family that's with us, Lord, I just thank you that you brought families together all around the world today, Lord. I thank you for bringing families together. In the mighty and powerful name of Jesus, amen.